0: So today we're talking about the shepherds and the angels. As we continue in Advent, we're talking about uh, the angels appearing to the shepherds about the birth of Christ. So, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is one of the great, you know, of all these versions. It's one of my favorite versions of the Christmas story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And of course, there's only one reason the government wants to register you, because they want to tax you. This was the first, uh, so who said, I can't, was that Trevor back there so excited about that? This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about in the From the Heart that how uh, this was probably a miserable trip for Mary. I haven't been pregnant, but uh, I've observed it numerous times. And uh, the last few days before, the last few weeks before delivery, for most women, is a miserable time. They're uncomfortable uh, just in all kinds of ways. And can you imagine walking from Nazareth to Bethlehem, nine months pregnant? No. Those was, It wasn't pleasant for anybody, I'm sure. And, uh, and uh, it wasn't a short journey. It was, you know, 20, 20 30 miles. Uh, not a safe journey from Nazareth down through Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about uh, six miles south of Jerusalem. And so they, they make this long journey. And while they're there, you know, there's no place for them in the end. There's no room for them in the end. They have the baby in a stable, probably a cave. Uh, It looks like she's ready because she has swaddling cloths with her. She's prepared. You can imagine. She knows the time is getting close. Uh, She's prepared for the birth. And it says that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So why this was going on is that sheep have to be watched by shepherds. Uh, sheep have no natural defenses. Uh, they have a lot of predators because they have tasty meat. Uh, sheep will overforage a pasture until the roots are destroyed, so they, they're required, if, if you're going to maintain sheep, you have to move them around from pasture to greener pasture, or they will destroy it. So they have to be watched to keep from the wolves that would come. We know that David uh, killed a lion and a bear in defense of his father's sheep. So sheep have to be watched. They're shepherds in the fields at night watching their sheep. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now the glory of the Lord is an interesting thing because the glory of the Lord is not a bright light or, or it appears, may appear to us as a bright light because it talks about the brightness of his glory. But the glory of the Lord is the emanations of the nature and character of God in a way that we see it it's manifested in some way now we see the manifestations of his glory in a lot of different ways but in this instance is the glory of the lord shown round about around them they saw there was there was a manifestation of who god is you know when god revealed himself to moses he put him in a crack and covered him and he let his goodness pass by and so it's the emanations of god's character in a, into us it is a visible form. And the angel appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. Normal, always normal to be afraid when you encounter a divine being like an angel. They're not God, but they're created by God. Now, why the shepherds? You ever think that? They're like, I mean... The temple at Jerusalem is six miles away it 's one of the known at that time, one of the wonders of the world it 's a beautiful temple, gorgeous temple that was built, rebuilding of in, this, in essence the rebuilding of the rebuilding of solomon 's temple that David had designed it 's a glorious temple it 's beautiful it's What we see today, we see the wailing wall. The wailing wall is essentially a retaining wall on the west side of the Temple Mount. It's just a limestone wall that was put there so they could build up the place where the temple was to make it stand out, to make it sit above Jerusalem. Herod did that in a lot of the places where he did construction. So you've got this beautiful temple, the high priest is there, seems like, I mean, Seems like kind of that would be a good place to show up, right? And announce the birth of the Christ, but it's not there. Uh, Herod, who has been empowered by the Romans to rule the Jews, uh, or allowed to rule the Jews, uh, has several fortresses at Masada, and he has a, a fortress palace at Herodium. Rhodium is about three miles from Bethlehem to the west. Uh, It was a a mound in the desert that he built up and made it larger, and he built a a fortress there. It wasn't even finished before he died. Uh, But, you know, he was trying to, he had these various fortresses that he could run to. Basically, he was the the (laughs) fortresses was to protect himself from the Jewish people. He, 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 it wasn't, he, he couldn't defend himself against the Romans. This was to keep himself from being overthrown by the Jewish people because he feared that. And he, he so feared that, that he virtually destroyed, he killed all of his sons who would have been his heirs because he was fearful of them taking over. And of course he eventually died anyway. Uh, so it would seem, you know, Herod's the ruler uh, that might be a logical place for the angels to show up and explain what's going on. It made a lot of sense to everybody. Caesar's in Rome, ruling much of the known world. Angels don't appear to Caesar, but they appear to none of those. They appear to these shepherds. These no, They're nobodies, really. They're just shepherds keeping sheep in Bethlehem. It's possible that they're, you know, they're keeping sheep in the same place where David, the great king of Israel, the shepherd king of Israel, um, in the lineage of Christ, where he kept sheep, it's very likely this is Bethlehem, his own town. It's very likely they're in fields that he used at some time or another, wouldn't you think? It's also likely that because of the nearness of Bethlehem to, to Jerusalem, that it was a place where they kept the Passover lambs, the Paschal lambs. The, the sacrificial system in the temple required a large number of sheep, lambs, that were sacrificed. And so it's likely that, it's possible that, especially at Passover, every family in Israel that was was keeping the law, endeavoring to keep the law, would have a Passover lamb. And they had kind of created a system. This is why Jesus ran out the money changers in the temple at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry twice. He threw out the money changers in the temple because they had corrupted this system. They had taken the sacrifice system and had made it a barrier for people to offer sacrifice. Made it hard because they would require, so let's say a family made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They wanted to offer a sacrifice in the temple. Maybe they're a poor family. So they bring a lamb. This is a lamb that they've raised at home. They've nurtured it. They've, they've inspected it to make sure it's without blemish. They bring it to the temple system and, and they say to them, well, first of all, you can't use your ungodly Roman money here. You, you're going to have to turn it into temple money. You ever exchange money? You always get cheated don't you you always lose money in the exchange rate so this was a way for them to make money that actually the temple money which is crazy the temple money wasn't Roman money but it was Phoenician money so so uh, but that was the system that they used they had temple money and so you'd lose money and then you'd have then you'd have to purchase a approved lamb so what they would do is that they would take, they'd say, well, we've inspected your lamb and uh, it's, not, it's not suitable. It's not without blemish. So they would take the lamb from them and then possibly even sell them their own lamb on the other side. It was a corrupt system. Instead of making it easy for people to come to God, they were making it difficult. That angered Jesus because they were taking advantage of the people and making it difficult to come to God so it's possible that these lambs are actually lambs that are being raised for the sacrificial system and so one of the things that would have to happen when a lamb was born the shepherds would have to inspect it if it was going to be a a Paschal lamb, a Passover lamb they had to inspect the lamb as we offered for sacrifice it had to be inspected because it had to be without blemish if it was blemished it had to be slaughtered immediately so here we have the the lamb that's going to take away the sins of the world is born and so the angels say hey you need to go make an inspection because the lamb has been born you need to go check on him it's possible that they were there it's likely this is where david and he wrote the great psalm the lord's my shepherd i shall not want Jesus even says of himself, I'm the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So we see this, this sheep analogy, this shepherd analogy, something that God considers himself our shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus said, My sheep know my voice and they follow me. So it's, God's carrying this analogy. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and yet he's also the good shepherd. So they say to them, they announce. the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I bring you good news of great joy, it's for everybody, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news, I'm giving you good news, the Messiah that you've been expecting is born. Good news, the Savior, you know, when we use the term Jesus the Christ, that's not his last name. That's a description. It's Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the anointed one. He's the anointed of God. When Jesus said, who do men say that I am to his disciples? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, you're right. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Peter, you're not that bright. Uh, Your father in heaven has revealed this to you. So he said, unto you is born, good news, great joy for everybody, because unto you is born in David a Savior who is the Christ, a Savior who is God, a Savior who is God's appointed one. Now, we need a Savior. If you've ever sinned, you need a Savior. Everybody who has sinned needs a Savior, and because... We've all sinned. We all need a savior. We've all broken the law. We've, we've, did anybody here ever not obey your parents? I mean, you don't have to be very old. About two, about two, and the sin nature kicks in. That little cute darling, that little sweetie pie will say no. Or they'll just go, uh-uh. Or Etta right now will just flop on the floor, just like a kind of a, just like a, huh <laughs> just like, you know, forwards or backwards, you know. Uh, so we've all done that. We've all said no. We've all disobeyed. We've all rebelled against our parents. We've all coveted. We've all wanted stuff that we couldn't have. We've, you know, we've coveted our neighbor's house or wife, as the Bible says, or BMW or minivan or uh, Whatever. We want we thought we ought to have it and they shouldn't. You ever lied or stolen? How many lies does it take to make you a liar? One. How, how what do you have to steal to be a thief? Paperclip. What's a paperclip worth? Well, oh, less than a penny, but it's still theft, right? So we've all broken the law. Here's the point. The point is, according to the law, we've all broken the law. And if we tried, if we thought we were going to be saved by keeping the law, we could never keep the law. None of us have ever kept the law. We're all sinners because you sin and break one law, you've broken all the law. So we're all sinners, and we need a savior. And so the good news is that Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's good news. Amen. And God only God can forgive these sins because they were sins against God primarily. You know, I, I can't forgive these sins, but Jesus can forgive these sins. God can forgive these sins. You see, if, if, you, if you speed, break the law, and you get a ticket, you can't bring it to me and I say, I forgive you. Well, I can do that, but it's not going to help because <laughs> they're still going to want their money. They're still, you just have to pay the fine. You're still going to be unforgiven until it's taken care of. So... God came, Jesus came, who can forgive our sins? We've sinned against God, only God can forgive our sins. So Jesus came as a solution to our sin problem. Verse 12, Lincoln's not even agreeing with me now. He's you know, he's like, I don't like that, Grandpa. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace with those with whom He is pleased." The first point of this is you need to get first that everything God does, everything God does, he does for his own glory. Everything that He does, he does so that his glory would be revealed and be recognized. God does what he does for his glory, and so that his glory would be revealed. Jesus came so that we would recognize the glory of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came so that, to reveal who God was, and the glory of God. So in revealing the glory of God, we are reveling in what? The attributes of God. The glory of God is the emanations from God of His attributes His love, His grace, His mercy, His omniscience, His omnipotence, His omnis. Everything. Everything that God is is revealed. So God wants to reveal. Jesus came to reveal who He was, to reveal that He loves us, that He cares for us. Jesus died for us. So He's revealing the nature of God. God. Jesus came to reveal God's glory. And the second thing he came to do, he said, and I'm going to bring peace. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So when you read that, you think, okay, Jesus came to bring peace. It doesn't look like it took. Right? I mean, do we have peace? Is the world at peace? We don't have peace. There's war everywhere. There's conflict everywhere. We don't, we, we don't have individual peace. We don't have corporate peace. We don't have, you know, we don't have any, any kind of peace. We don't have any greater peace, even though there was a very warring, very dark time. We cannot imagine. One of the things that I think of when I think about this season is that you and I cannot comprehend the level of darkness that permeated the world... Before Christ came. The world that you know is a world where the light of Christ has always shone in it. That light has been shining now for thousands of years, and the the world has been changed by the light. That doesn't mean that there's not still sin and there's not still not a battle with sin. There certainly is. But you and I have no idea what it was like when the only light was in a little group of people called the Israelites. They're the only ones that had any kind of allegiance to the truth of God. This little group of people that had some moral standards, they had some values of life and they struggled with it. They failed miserably, but they, they were a candle in a dark place and that the world, we cannot even imagine how dark the world was. We think darkness is dark now. We think sin is bad now. Before Christ came, it was overwhelming. Christ came to light the darkness. And so he came. And when he came, he came to bring us life, to show the glory of God, and to offer peace. But what's interesting about this offer, the peace is not extended to everyone. The peace is only extended to those with whom he is pleased. The peace is not offered to everyone. The peace is offered only to those with whom God is pleased. How do you please God? Romans 8 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we cannot please God on our own. It's something that God has to do for us. We can't please God by our own efforts. It's something that God has to work in us do in us, accomplish in us. So when God says, I'm the God of peace, and he offers us peace, what he's offering us is himself. Jesus came as a gift so that God could extend. God is extending through Christ an invitation to give us something that we can never accomplish on our own. He's offering us himself. Now may the God of hope, Romans fifteen thirteen fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the God of peace. The rule of peace can never be separated from the rule of God. There can only be peace where God reigns. The reason why we don't see peace in the world, because God doesn't reign in hearts in every man in the world. We want to have peace. We have to have the reign of God. Jesus came to bring us peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then just a few verses later, it says this, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Jesus came to justify us and free us from the wrath of God. Before Christ came, you were an enemy to God, and there was nothing you could do about it. You were an enemy to God, but Jesus came to apply the sacrifice of his life to your life, and by receiving that, by faith, by faith you receive it, not by works, it's not by traditions, it's not by baptism, it's not by church membership, It's not by self-righteousness or your own goodness. It's not by your parents. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. Do Do you know what I mean when I say that? I'm saying that you can't get to heaven on your parents' faith or your grandma's faith or your grandpa's faith. The only way you can get to heaven is if you personally, by your own faith in God, trust in Christ as your Savior. Now your parents can, you know, push and prod and pray. But you got to decide. By faith alone, by Christ alone. God's anger with our sin in Christ Has been put away. We deserve the wrath of God, but in Christ, God's wrath has been satisfied, and now we are the sons of God. We've been invited in. We have peace with God, which is declared. God is not against us, God's not mad at you. That's good news. It's good news. God's not mad at you, He's not displeased with you. If you're in Christ, even though you're a goofball, he's still not mad at you. If you're in Christ, even though you messed up this week, he's not mad at you. The wrath of God is not on you. He's for you. He's not against you. Does not mean he won't discipline you? Because the Bible says whom he loves, he disciplines. Does not mean he won't correct you and allow other people to correct you? But it means it's not because of us, it's because of him. We have peace with God. Now that's good tidings of great joy. Jesus makes us justified. Jesus came to accomplish for us what we could not accomplish on our own so that we could be justified before God and with God have peace. Jesus came to give us the peace with God. Then secondly, we can have the peace of God if we have peace with God, then we can have the peace of God. The Bible says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Bible refers to the peace of God as the incomprehensible peace of God, which is to say, it doesn't make sense to the human mind. Because we feel like the way to solve this problem is that I'm going to get up at three o'clock in the morning and worry about it. Maybe pace the floor a little bit. Not pray, worry. The word anxious means by definition it means to experience to experience worry nervousness or unease. We all experience it. We all struggle with it. We all battle with it. It is the assault of daily pressures that threaten our peace. There's all kinds of stuff. Financial worries. Cuz everybody's got plenty of money. You know how much money you need more? You just think back how much money you make now and how much money you thought, if I ever make that much money, I'll have it made. And you, you passed you pass that 20 times. Health worries, family worries. You no, know, there's a lot of stuff to worry about in your family. There's, there's kids, there's grandkids, there's, there's marriage stuff. There's just a world of worries. What's happening in the world? If you don't have enough worries, turn on the news. They'll bring you a new batch every night. Or if you don't use the news, you can just look at the news on your phone. It's the same stuff. You just get it at a different time with a little different spin on it. Right? Worries. Is Russia... And America and China gonna get in a nuclear race again. Probably so. There's just all kinds of stuff to worry about. You see, so how do you deal with that? You you have to get a hold of the incomprehensible peace of Christ. We can have because we have peace with God. We can have the peace of God. And so he says there's a method. There's a method. What do you do? By prayer and supplication, we give it to Christ. The peace of God, because we have peace with God, we, because of who we are in Christ. It's important that we understand who we are in Christ. A lot of people are anxious for the approval of others. We get anxious for other people's approval. We get anxious to be... Accepted and, and loved and and known. We're, we're looking for someone or something to give us internal peace. If you think that your one thing or one relationship, one boyfriend or girlfriend or marriage or child away from happiness, you have believed the lie of the enemy that something or someone is going to make you happy and give you peace, and they will not. You'll find that relationships generally bring you trouble, not peace. Peace. You have to battle in the midst of relationships to have the peace of God by trusting God. So how do you do that? You have to take your anxiety, take your worries, take your fears of all stripes and manifestations because they're just going to show up in all kinds of ways. I don't worry much visibly, but I still get anxious. I, I realized how anxious I get. In these last four weeks, as we've been dealing with, dealing with the burglary and replacing equipment, and then, then dealing with the, them endeavoring to hack into all of our accounts and deal with that, it was. It's all day. It's an all day, everyday thing. It's like, okay, what do we deal with now? And just last yesterday, so I had to, just as a precaution, I had to cancel. I canceled all of my credit cards. There's not a bunch of credit cards. It may sound like I've got all these credit cards. But I canceled the credit cards that I have. I, I canceled the church's Sam car, Sam's cards that we use. You know, so that you can have water. Uh, the church's bank card, so that you can have donuts. All of those things. And then, so I get the cards, and then you then you have to, you have to, you would think, I'm just gonna call this number on the card and activate my card. Nothing, you can't get anything without a fight. Everything's a fight. You, I mean, you just better gird up your loins and get ready because. Because everything is going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight for everything you want. Just installing a program on your computer is going to be a fight with the forces of darkness. You're, it's, you think, how, why did they make this so hard? And then you have to, and then it doesn't work, and then you have to call somebody, and then that's a whole nother fight. Anyway, I'm just saying that to say, you think you don't worry, but then there are things that will affect you in other ways that make you worry. Maybe you get a call from the doctor, hey, we're, we need you to get a test. You're not, you don't worry about, you're not worried about finances, you're not, but you're, now you're worried about your health. In other words, we all struggle with these things. So... How do we have the peace of God once we have peace with God? Well, we have to take our anxiety. We have to take our cares and do something with them. Because worry doesn't accomplish anything. You can't by worry add one cubit to your height, to your head. You can't can't make more hair appear. If you could by worry make more hair appear, I'd have more hair. You can't make more hair appear by worry. You can't change things by worry. And that is the lie that we often believe, that I'm handling this by stewing over it and having anxiety about it that I'm doing something about it. But the Bible says if you really, really, really want to do something about it, do the thing that seems like it's nothing, but it really is something. Instead, pray about it and hand them to God i say, you know, literally say, God, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's actually saying, I want you to, I want you to take an effort and say, God, I'm giving you this worry about money. Lord, I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to do everything that I can do. But when I reach the end of my ability, Right? then I'm going to have to say, God, I've done everything I can do. I've I've tried to take care of everything. I've tried to be responsible with everything. I've done everything that I can do, but now I'm beyond what I can do. The only thing I can do is trust God. I'm going to have to cast it upon the Lord. I'm going to have to give it to him. And so the challenge with with casting it upon the Lord is not to reel it back in. Right? Right? So it's always saying, Lord, I give this to you. I release this to you. I trust you to work on my behalf. I believe that you're for me. I believe that God's working on my behalf. I believe that his word is true. I believe that he loves me. I believe that wrath has been satisfied. God's not mad at me. I don't. Here's what I believe. I believe I'm one of God's favorites. You ought to believe that too. Because you are. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's, that's pretty special. God's chosen you, so you believe that. So in that, that's how you have the peace of God. You believe that prayer accomplishes something, and you believe that God can do more than you can. And so you, you give it to him. And so tomorrow, you give it to him again. And then you wake up and you start worrying. You say, oh, God, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to give it to you. And then the next day, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you think, oh, I'm going to worry about this. What am I going to do? And you give it to him again. And you just keep giving it to him. You don't surrender to the worry. It is a battle. That's why we call it the fight of faith. It's the fight of faith to believe what God says is true. We're fighting the fight of faith. Faith, fight the good fight. We're fighting to hold on to the truth and trust God. So we have the peace with God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, now we can have peace of God, the kind of peace that God has. God's not worried. God's not, oh, what are we going to do today? Then we can have peace with each other. We can have peace in relationships. Because these other things are settled. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God. And now we can have peace with each other. Sometimes that's tough. This is often the season where a lot of people have difficulty having peace with other people. Because you gather with people. Sometimes you gather with people that are... That are you gather with your relatives. And you gather with a broader spectrum of relatives than you would normally gather with. And so the crazy uncles are there, and, and the nutty aunt, and all of that is involved, and you're dealing with all of that. So sometimes you have to recognize, uh, sometimes you have to compromise, especially if they're unbelievers, especially if your family's unbelievers, I want you to listen to this, pay attention to this. If your family is unbelievers, you often will have to compromise your ability to share your opinions about other stuff so that you'll have the ability to share Christ with them? Is it more important that you're able to tell your relatives that you voted or didn't vote for Trump? You know, whichever, either way, crazy way you went, okay? Just depends on the interpretation of the people around you, correct? Right? Okay. So whether you get into that or not, Sometimes it's best to hold that opinion so that you can have the ability to share the love of Christ with those people. You can share the gospel with them. And here's what you got to get. You're not trying to get Billy and Sandy to quit sinning. You're trying to get them to come to Christ. You're extending the invitation. The good news is not stop sinning. The good news is Jesus came to save sinners. Amen. It seems like you think, well, that seems like the same thing. The reality is, we're all sinners. You say, hey, listen, I want to tell you some good news. Jesus came to save all of us from our sins. See, Jesus, when Jesus, Jesus didn't say, he did preach repent, and he was preaching repentance to the Jews who were already, you know, knew the Bible, they knew the word, they were. So he was preaching repentance to the Jews. But a lot of times when Jesus stood up, he said, hey, is anybody thirsty? Come and drink. You hungry? I'm the bread of life. See, the answer to our sin problem is Jesus. So if we try to get people to stop sinning before they have Christ inside of them, we're asking them to do something That they don't have the power to do. The power to stop sinning comes from knowing Christ. And even you are struggling with it a little bit. Right? So, our message to the lost is come to Jesus. Now, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And the Lord does want us in the body of Christ, we're not that liberal with people who know Jesus. So sometimes people who know Jesus we're actually we're going to be more confrontational with people who are in the family of God to, to say to them, that's not, you, you can't believe that. That's not right. You need to stop that. And that's hard. It's hard when you gather around with your family and you get to be the one in the family that says, uh, uh, y'all need to stop doing that. That's not right. But often God calls us that because we're in the family of God. But I I want to challenge you. You see, what what this allows us to do, because we have peace with God, and we have the peace of God, we're not needing approval, we're not needing to be valued, then, then we can have peace with other people. See, the Bible says, as much as lieth within you, be at peace with all men. Now here's the thing. Sometimes it's not possible because the other person doesn't want peace. Have you found that to be true? There's some people you can't get along with. and It's not because you're being ornery. It's because they are and they don't want to stop. Some people you can't get along with, but the Bible says as much as possible, you do your part to have peace. You see, why is there not peace in the world? Is because There's not peace with God, and there's not the peace of God, and then people aren't wanting to do their part because they don't have peace. They don't have anything to give away. We're the people of peace. We have something to give away. Amen. Let's stand. So I want to pray for you and your family gatherings that are coming up that God will use you God wants to use you to plant seeds of his grace, his love and his mercy, to be the person in the family that is the light that's shining in a dark place, that's demonstrating the love of Christ. So Father, we want to be lights in darkness. We want to be a candle that's set on a hilltop, that's, on a, that's shining for the world to see. We want to be a light in a dark place. We want to shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Lord, we ask you in this season, in this season, this, in this, this coming up event that we're doing for our community. Lord, we want to be a light. This is, this is not to br- bring accusation. This is to bring the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to be people of the good news that Christ came to save sinners of who I, whom I am the chief. Lord, help us in our relationship with our family to demonstrate grace and mercy and patience. And may the peace that fills our life because Jesus came and the peace that is in us because we know the Prince of Peace, may that peace flow out of us in a way that it will touch those around us with the glory and grace of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Lord bless you. Have a great week.